Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com I'm a feminist, but I once took my bra off without taking my top off in that way that ladies do, because a Mm -hmm. bouncer dared me to. And I did it because I didn't want to queue in the rain for an hour outside a nightclub. And if I'm honest, I'm not really sorry. I, yeah, I don't see anything unfeminist about that, particularly because that sounds like the sort of thing that, do you remember the age of the ladette? Yeah. Yeah. I remember it well. I think that's when, you know, everyone had to sharpen up their bra removal skills. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And that was the so de- that think, was when yeah. you were trying to out drink and out belch men. I wasn't. Right. I, I just was never. In, I was there. I remember it, mm-hmm. and I I did not enjoy it. I'm a feminist, but the other day when I woke up before the man I just slept with, I went into the bathroom and I put on a light concealer under my eyes. I sprayed a bit of perfume, walked into it. Then I went back to the bedroom, pretended to be asleep. And then he woke me up and I said, I just woke up. (gasps) Yes. You did a marvellous Mrs. Maisel. The duplicity. (laughs) Yes. The Beyonce, I woke up like this approach. Yes. I love it. Oh my God. That is a marvellous Mrs. Maisel technique. And that has not been used since the 60s. (laughs) An outrage. He said, you smell so nice in the morning. I was like, "Mm mm-hmm, Chanel. Wow, wow. I only, that's what Marilyn Monroe used to say when they'd say, what do you sleep Mm -hmm. in? She'd say Chanel number five. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. I'm a feminist, but I had a sex dream about William the Conqueror. Even (gasps) though he's basically the patriarchy 2.0, isn't he? I mean... I think it's the classic, you know, he obviously, you know, entered England on a steed. Same, same. Hastings. Same, entered on a steed, same. Same with me, same in the dream. I mean, he's literally a conqueror. I don't think you should be having sex dreams about him. I'm a feminist, but the main reason I want to learn to fix the shelves in my bedroom is so I can send a hot picture to me in a practical boiler suit outfit, not because it will cut out the reliance on a handyman, a.k.a. a man. I'm a feminist, but I'm a direct descendant of William the Conqueror. 
Fuck off. True story. True story. I had a sex dream about my great, 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 multi-great grandfather. True story. True story. Now, <clears throat> regular <laughs> listeners may know, a bit. <laughs> may know that I found my biological family uh, end of 2012, beginning of 2013. Had never seen a picture of anyone related uh. to me. And then it turned out uh, that someone in my family did family trees and someone had traced us all the way back to winning the Conqueror. Wow. And so I suspect I had the sex dream because I, I resurrected the show about that and William the Conqueror is in it and he uh, has my eyebrows and that's the theme of the show. That's how I found wow. my biological family. I've ruined a joke of the show, really, to be honest. Spoilers. Might cut this out of the podcast, but I'm telling you. Um, and I assume that's why I had the dream. But he is... My great, 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 great grandfather. But I think if you travelled in time and went back and slept with someone who was that far back, honestly, we're all related in some way or another. I don't think the genes would the genes would be so diluted. I don't think it would be bad. Okay, I'm a feminist, but if I travelled in time, I don't think it would be a bad thing to shag William the Conqueror because I don't think that's incest. I, I think I'm going to have to call that the Anais Nin defence. Because, yeah, I think the... Um, yeah, with him being French also... Um, yeah, that, I mean, well, you I'm think still it would be side. all right? Would you, <laughs> You're still on the side. Would you think, you think it's all right, Kachenga, even if I'm a direct descendant? I am a direct descendant through illegitimacy, but he himself was called William the Bastard because he was the first illegitimate kid in our family to make good. I'm the most recent. Right. Uh, so yeah, it's going to make for a very funny family Christmas. But, um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I would say, like, go for it for the scandal. I see what you mean. Um, yeah, I, yeah. It's a kind of outrageous story for your memoirs, isn't it? Have you got another one, Travis? I've got my last one and it says, I'm a feminist, but I am still holding out for true love because I think I will get onto the next season of Love Island. Uh, <laughs> so you're putting off a romance in order to get on Love Island? I've decided that if I've learned anything with my career being on hold kind of in 2020 is that I'm made for reality TV. Like mm. I would be so good at trash reality tv like oh, really good you're too good though i feel like wait your sound's gone deb oh have my sounds gone am i back no they're all looking but i think me. you were saying go for it i can't hear you but i think you were saying go for it travis no, you'd be great no no no, no. <laughs> okay you're back i'm back <laughs> uh, i'm going no 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 um it's like no i got deborah's absolute endorsement on that and i've sent the email off oh you were saying no were you yes deborah said love island <laughs> deborah said love island 2021 trans representation let's go <laughs> i just feel like you're too good for it i just i don't mean to be snobby but i ha- I'm forced to be on this occasion. Your level of wit and constant zinger, I just, when I've watched Love Island, which is not that frequently, I feel like people use the same six words over and over. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think of some, icon- we've had some iconic witty one-liners that they don't know about. And I feel like in our profession, we're so aware of when we're making a joke. Mm-hmm. What I love about Love Island is, you know, I'm all about crossing binaries and the binary of joke and not joke in Love Island is very thin. And I love that line. That's true. They don't know always. (laughs) We all don't know. And I wouldn't know. And I'd be there. I don't know if this is the joke. I just, also the sun. I love how in Love Island world, you can just name when you want to steal someone's bae. I just, I think I'd really thrive. I think I'd really thrive. I'm a feminist, but... (laughs) 
from a variety of bedrooms and kitchens via Zoom. The Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White. Guest co-host, Travis Alabanza, and our very special guest, Kachenga, talking about Black Trans Lives Matter. Woo! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White. With me is my co-pilot, Travis Alabanza, and we're talking about Black Trans Lives Matter. Hello, Travis Alabanza. Hi. I feel so formal with that. Hello. It's so I nice know. to be the co-host today. It's so lovely to see you. Now, in a theatre, our guest, Kachenga, would be in the audience. Okay. But given we're on Zoom and there is no audience, Kachenga is now in our posse. So Kachenga, hello and welcome. You're our wonderful guest today. Feel free to heckle like the hecklers on the Muppets. I promise. Chip in. Absolutely. Don't be frightened of laughing if Travis is particularly hilarious. That won't Uh, happen. You look, it just did happen. It just did happen. (laughs) Maybe it was the idea of you being hilarious. So in the meantime... Travis Alabanza. Zebra Francis White. You have become one of my favourite new people, I would say, over the last year. I don't think I knew you a year ago. No, we didn't. I discovered you because I was uh, looking at writers for a writer's room. And at the first time I tried to get you for a writer's room, uh, you were frankly rudely unavailable with your success and busyness elsewhere. I was busy on a third date, yeah. Um, <laughs> you told yeah. me you're on tour. I, well, that's what, what we call that it now. That's what we call it. Yes, Deborah, I was on a certain kind of tour. Oh, what go, as in a what goes on tour stays on tour. I was on it, yes. I was on a, there was a large surface area was covered. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, no, you did. To see, I, I lo- you're one of my favourite editions. And also I feel like when I was getting ready for this tonight, I feel like you also, because of us working together at the beginning of lockdown, you know, really you giving me work when all of my work was crumbling. I kind of punctuated my beginning of lockdown with seeing you every day and then doing that interview. And I was thinking about how the first time we did our first interview in lockdown, I was like, yeah, I've been dressing up loads. I've been wearing a full face of makeup, spending hours getting ready. However many months in we are into 2020, I've got a light concealer on and that's about all we're going to (laughs) get. I mean, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. I've been writing all day. I would never in the olden times before lockdown have come on The Guilty Feminist without a bare minimum of a severe flick of liquid eyeliner. Of course. Mascara. A little bit of under Mm -hmm. the eyeline eyeliner. This is get verging Mm -hmm. into Rhyme Feminist, but and at least a nude lipstick. At least. Mm-hmm. At least At a least. moisturiser. Maybe a little bit of blusher. Definitely a bit of blusher. To be honest, I am describing a full face of makeup. <laughs> there is not... I haven't even moisturised today. Look, these big glasses of face armour, so that you just don't really notice yes. any of that. Yes. Face and it's armor. like, who am I dressing up for just in case someone Zoom bombs us? I'm like, I don't want to dress up for them. <laughs> I mean, th- I love that this is you not dressed up. Uh, yeah, true. For the listeners at home, Travis is wearing, I would say, a plaid blouse, I suppose. It's actually it's a, oh, it's dress. a dress. It's a short little dress. Oh, it's a mini. Oh, that's very Mary Quant. That's v- that's, yes. that's, mm-hmm. it, that's extreme Twiggy vibes. <gasps> it's very oh, much so. Very Twiggy. I'm exact. Mm-hmm. Yes, a I was going to Twiggy with. I would say a mild puff sleeve. Yes, I would say a mini puff. Yes. That's not a full puff by any means. No, and I know a thing about full puffs. <laughs> 
it's not. It's not a full puff. It's a mild puff at best. <laughs> and then it has a little white, like uh, not a Peter Pan collar, but more. Have you seen the Flying Nun, Gidget, nineteen sixties again? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But it's actually Deborah. Can I be a reveal? It's actually a separate top. What underneath? Oh my We're layering. God. We're layering. It's yeah. A layer. It's a layer. Tis the season. Tis the season. <laughs> Tis the season. You've gone straight for the autumn, and it's autumnal tones, listeners. And then <laughs> Travis is also wearing. Now this is a contrasting check flat cap. Yeah, it's very like you know when I was taking the recycling out today, it was windy, and I wanted the neighbours to kind of see it just. Whoosh, you know, it was very oh, that. Were you very doing that. Little Marilyn. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was like, oh no, you know, uh, like very that. Yes, 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 yes <laughs> absolutely. And then the glasses. Now they are another pattern. Yeah. Now what you've done is you've done clashing patterns, which you can very much get away with, and sadly, I never will be able to. I possibly no. could have once, but I very much missed the turnoff. Do you think? I've, oh, yeah. I swear I've seen you in it. I swear you, you do bold, no? I do bold, but I don't do patterns very often. And if I do a pattern, right. there is only one pattern on my person at any time. Right. Whereas I feel like I can only exist when I've done at least three patterns at once in one outfit. If I've done two patterns in one outfit, I'll be like, wow, this is minimal and chic. This is this is an understated <laughs> low, low yeah. in afternoon. I'm like yeah. Victoria Beckham-esque, you know? Right, right, right. The full monochrome chic is for you. Yeah. You've just got two patterns. Yeah. So, sadly, I've missed the turn off. Now, I did a sort of... Uh, one of those very formal talks that I do sometimes, I mean, they are entertaining, but they are formal to women in business on my own mm-hmm. Zoom, standing up in my living room in front of my bookcase, trying to look elegant. And I realized as I was doing it, that this jumpsuit, which is a lovely jumpsuit, no one could criticize it. Very gorgeous. It's got a sort of sweepy bit that comes over the front nice. and you then tie a sweepy tie. So it could look like a dress, but no, look under here, jumpsuit. Amazing. Oh, lovely. And I realized halfway through that the zip only comes up to here. And I was thinking, <laughs> could... They mistake this for a camisole because it is very much my bra. And it was a corporate thing. I was being paid proper money for it. And I was like, I'm just showing them my bra. And I was like, I'm styling this out. So yes. a couple of times I pulled the zip up, but then I sort of did that as if I was sort of trying to show my camisole off rather than it's not a camisole, it's just a very real bra with a little bow on it. It's so a bra. That's so obviously a bra, isn't it? You were making a, yes. I mean, it definitely is a bra. I'm not going to lie to you. going to practice honesty. But I think what it's saying, <laughs> they were all thinking during it, wow, like she must be badass and external. That wearing a bra says you're an external visitor. Like wearing your bra on show to a corporate event, it tells them you're just here for the day. You know, just, just here. <laughs> here for the day. Exactly. Uh, it's true. The jumpsuit says, I understand your world. The bra says, I don't respect it. <laughs> I feel like we're missing Kachenga Gold. I just think we might need to bring. We don't normally bring the guests in this early, but I'm just going to. Sorry. Okay. So I'm enjoying the witty repartee. I know, but we want you to join it. So I'm just. Oh, yeah, bring, of course. I'm doing an early guest. I'm doing an early guest. <laughs> Our guest today is a writer, journalist, and black transsexual feminist whose work seeks to cleave souls open with truth and sincerity. Take that world. She has been published in many online magazines, including Vogue. I mean, this is why I need to bring you in. I can't, I can't be having these fashion chats. And you, well, right? I was silently judging when you were talking about Prince. I was taking well, notes. This is this. Um, just thing. to send off the editors. I just yeah. need some Kachenga here. Um, Vogue <laughs> and Harper's Bazaar. Please welcome Kachenga. <laughs> um, Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's amazing. So I just need. I mean, we would. This show is not a fashion show, 
But Travis does this to me. Uh, Travis makes me somebody who sounds like I'm in the front row of London Fashion Week. I probably don't, but I sound like I'm mocking in the front row of London Fashion Week. I'm a comedian who's been brought by someone more important and I'm gently mocking and undermining, but I am enjoying and reveling. I sort of have a touch of the Carrie Bradshaws, I hope in a woker vessel. (laughs) I like woke Charlotte. Oh, oh, I don't. Do you think yeah, Charlotte's, Charlotte's become the white one? She's doing the yeah. reading. She knows about abolitionism. She's oh, in absolutely real life. down with the yeah. Oh, um, the, the no, abolition. no, no. There's an Instagram account, kind of in the same vein as kind of um, Diet Prada. I think yeah, that kind of like um, irreverent kind of scything critique and yeah. Yeah, Charlotte. Oh, so it's work, work Charlotte. Charlotte oh, so it's if work Charlotte, Charlotte yeah. were still going. Yeah. She'd yeah. now be She one. has discovered Angela Davis. Oh, she's brilliant. discovered Jane Elliott. She's doing the reading. She's doing the work. She's doing, the, I mean, we stand on the shoulders of giants. <laughs> but she probably would actually, I'm really enjoying this by the way. She probably would uh-huh. because she was always very earnest and she liked to tell she the was, others how yeah. they were wrong. So I reckon she'd right. read up. She would have read White Fragility and Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race and she'd be lecturing yes. the others. I think so. Yeah, so Miranda would have got annoyed with her mm. because, yeah, Miranda was obviously kind of dealing with these issues in in the work field, yeah, with her doing law and stuff. I mean, she probably ended up doing things that are a little bit edgier than was in the show. And then Charlotte discovers how much white supremacy has guided her life. And yeah, she has a massive emotional crisis about everything and then buys like 17 books at the Strand bookstore. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Doesn't absolutely. read them all like no, who really reads quickly, but yeah, definitely yeah. reads them with like a highlighter and calls oh, up her good. cousins Very and talks good. about, you know, that time when she was 13 and she believed the only black girl in the class and that sort of thing. So yeah, that's oh, where, wow. yeah, I think that's where <laughs> Charlotte's coming that's from. There's a full backstory. I think Miranda <laughs> probably now has her pronouns in her bio. Mm-hmm. Don't you? Yes. Oh, without, oh, yeah, for sure. Because, yeah. yeah, she's involved with the community. She's mm. doing sustainable gardening. Because, yeah, she's in Brooklyn. Because also I um, think she was the one yeah. who had most sort of gender fluidity about her, a touch of gender fluidity about her. She wasn't ultra hmm. femme like the other three. She had trouser suits. She was constantly mistaken for a lesbian. She had trouser suits. She liked a polo neck. Yeah, that's all it takes, really, don't I mean, they? I mean, <laughs> all you know. I mean, more than the others. That's were violently femme, I would say. Yes. She was sort of mistaken for a lesbian consistently. And, um, yeah. Because in New York then. I mean, I mean the thing is, that is, she dared to be comfortable sometimes. Uh, and I think, yeah, once, she, yeah, once, she, <laughs> once you've done that as a woman, there's a massive question mark over your head. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, oh, good, oh, goodness. Yeah, she's not in pain constantly. That's a really, (laughs) really good point. Dared to be comfortable. (laughs) And then Samantha, we need a little bit of analysis now on Samantha. Oh, I mean, because I was the most promiscuous out of all my social groups, I was always known as the Samantha. And so I do feel aligned with her in terms of temperament. She's sex positive. That's true. They've all got a I think, yeah. She was sex positive. I mean, they she were all sex positive gives... in a way, but she was the most. By far. <laughs> most of the time, 
I think. But yeah, I mean, she, I mean, she had the younger boyfriend. Mm-hmm. She had sexual relations with women. Mm-hmm. That's um, true. And she was very conscious about her sexual health and, mm. you know, did her thing. But I wonder with her line of work, because, yeah, she was in advertising, wasn't she? Was it PR? PR, yeah, PR. And I wonder if she might have had to do a, like, just do a few campaigns that might have got her in hot water. Maybe yes. she was behind the Pepsi one. Yes. Yeah, I think, <laughs> yes. yeah. Yes. That was it. Oh. That was it. I think Samantha was behind the oh Pepsi thing. God. And she was hoping that Charlotte was going to support her. Mm. And that she was really trying to impress Miranda. And she just missed the mark. She missed the just mark. Missed she, the thought, mark. she thought she was doing something. Uh, if any listeners don't remember the Pepsi one, it was uh, the advert where basically they said, if you give a police officer a Pepsi, that will mm-hmm. be the end of police brutality and we'll all... I mean, if that's what... What else has 2020 shown us? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, was, you know, what, there was that time in June. Yeah, when, yeah, during the protests and, you know, it was all popping off and then globally we all opened a can of Pepsi mm. at the same time. Well, I'd like to buy the world I, and of Kendall, Coke Yeah, Kendall was on Instagram Live just yeah. nodding. Yeah, you know, and she said, "I told ever you." Since then, mm. they've all tried. I think, except for Carrie. I think Carrie. I think we need to be very honest. Is still very much navel gazing. I think Carrie just waits for Charlotte to stop talking about Black Lives Matter, so she can then complain about Big again, and perhaps she could complain about one of her two Manhattan apartments that she owns outright, like she did in our, the movies. I think, yeah, Our Lady of Narcissus is probably, yeah, just, like, really concerned about the Hamptons and, like, yeah, how she's going to, yeah, manage all of her property. She's setting up a change.org petition to make sure the word Karen is registered as an official slur. Long for Carrie, yeah. Karen, Karen, Karen. She's worried it's a slope. She said it will be me next. It's a slippery slope. (laughs) There are the gates. Then Carrie's, then yeah. Exactly. What next? Freaking phenomenal. (laughs) Freaking phenomenal. Oh, Carrie, I hope, I hope wherever you are out there in fictitious land, that you have had an awakening that there are people who aren't you. I mean, I know that was the character. The character was very much, mm. uh, I'm obsessed with myself. She might be involved with a charity with orphans, but I don't feel, I feel it's probably called White Saviors. I'm, guys, I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I think She's so. White Saviors I think so. Mm. I'm sorry. And mm. uh, I speak as a white lady, so I know wherever I speak. Um, <laughs> I apologise at the top for our white lady ways. No, it means we, you've got that intuition. You know white ladies are doing it. You know, it's that in it. Is, and Listen, and none I of mean, us are exempt. I accept I'm the apology, you. but it's not enough. I'm, uh, uh, it's, 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 it's so not enough, but I just want to put it out there that I white lady around too, and I don't think I'm better than the I try... But in my life, I have white ladied around a lot, and I try, I'm trying to get better. Uh, but you know, I'm not. I'm not above it. That's what I'm saying. I don't want to sit here going, "Yeah, those white women," when I very much am one. I'm just putting that on mm-hmm. the table now. <laughs> Hold up. 
Hello, Guilty Feminist. This is Deborah briefly interrupting your podcast listening with some news about a campaign we mentioned on a previous episode. Reem Mahmood is a young Syrian woman who needed help to go to university in Canada and she's managed to get enrolled and she has a scholarship, but her GoFundMe was shut down due to the sanctions in Syria. She has some money from it, but she's had to start a new GoFundMe. Her situation now is she got a scholarship that paid her first term tuition fees of 10,000 Canadian dollars. This is a very competitive scheme and only one person gets it and this time it was Reem. She raised $7,000 last time to put towards her second term tuition fees, but she needs another 10 grand to get a visa so she can prove to the government that she can afford to support herself. She's currently doing classes there on Zoom, but obviously she really wants to get out of a war zone and onto the actual campus. She's worked really hard for this. This is a really feminist cause. For more information about Reem, the scholarship she got and her new fundraising campaign, see the links in our show notes and on our website. She's actually doing gender studies at the Canadian University So if you or your organisation would like to sponsor her for a large amount of money to just help her get there and become her sponsor while she's on her three years in Canada, then that would be absolutely magnificent. If not, if you've got a fiver or a tenner or a quid or anything, then please help out. It's a very, very feminist cause. Now, back in August, we had yoga teachers, Janelle Lewis, Mia Togo, and Dr. Stacey Cece Graham on the podcast talking to us about wellness. Since then, we've had all three of them, plus Mansi Puri from India, leading yoga classes for us via Zoom. We have two more coming up, which you can book on right now. Vinyasa Yoga with Janelle Lewis is on Thursday, the 29th of October at 6.30pm UK time. And Vinyasa Yoga with Mia Togo is on Thursday, the 12th of November at 6pm UK time. Classes are 10 quid or 5 quid concessions and all the details are on guiltyfeminist.com. All the money goes to the teachers and a little bit for our administrator, but we don't take any profit from this. We just want it to be in the world. Now, our website, guiltyfeminist.com, is also the place to go for all of our lovely merch, which does go to us and our pot for good things, and information about my book, The Guilty Feminist, which is available in Waterstones, Blackwells, or wherever books are sold. The new edition features interviews with Hannah Gadsby and Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And now, back to the podcast. Please welcome to the mic, the one, the only, the exquisite Travis Alabanza. Woo! Yeah. I was actually thinking about what the subject of this podcast was today. I've been thinking a lot about how um, in isolation, there's been so much talk of all the negatives. But one thing I found is I've lost the everyday policing I would normally have in spaces because people can't police the space that my room. Whereas normally in my everyday life, there was a constant navigation of which gendered spaces I'm allowed to be in or not to be in. And as the world opens and closes and opens and closes back up, I've been thinking about that. So I wanted to read a provocation called Woman Only. They said the room was woman only and I heard womb only. I heard womb and only our wounds. I heard the silence from the white woman who laughed when their boyfriend called me a freak on the tube. I heard them say woman only as I watched their mouths disregard that I could ever be in danger. I heard them measure up who was woman enough to be in their room. I heard the stare each of them throw right at the bulge between my legs. I heard them scream privilege in my ear as I wonder what life gives me the honor to hide myself on the streets. 
I heard them say womb as I remember hiding fetus curved on the bed, not knowing what to wear today. I heard us both say that what we are wearing does not make it our fault. I heard only one of us nod at the other. Womb, womb only, woman only, woman only assist wounds. Woman only assist wounds. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I really love that. That's very, very beautiful. Thank you so much. Kachenga, can mm. you tell us a bit about your work and what you do? Oh, okay. Yeah, definitely. So I did a creative writing course at the Open University in 2014-15 um, when I went to rehab for my drug and alcohol um, issues. I found that after I'd been sober for the first time in 12 years that um, writing was what I needed to bring me back into a life of sanity. Um, and so... Yeah, I picked up a pen and started writing about the trauma and the pain that I'd been through. And then I started writing for like uh, women of colour media platforms, basically. Like it's kind of like writing as a form of activism, I guess. I think my first article was for Galdem and I was writing about Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie's comments on um on trans women that in the Channel 4 interview. And then I opened up about my experience writing to trans girls in prison and about like um, prison abolition and stuff. And then I just hop and skipped my way from publication to publication, basically. So writing for ID, writing for Dazed, and then latterly I started writing for Harper's Bazaar and Vogue, and that's been really fun. I want to toot some horns because I know that Kachenga's not going to do it. I feel like to just toot your horn a bit, Kachenga, about your work. Why I'm so in love with it and so thankful for the fact it exists is, although I don't want to continue the myth that we aren't here, we know that there's Black trans people populating the UK. I do feel yeah. like your voice permeates so many platforms that otherwise there wouldn't be the perspective that you offer. Does that feel scary? Uh, what do you feel about the writing scene for Black trans people in the UK? How do you feel you fit into the writing world in the UK? Hmm. Is it scary? I don't... For me, it's not. No, I think um, I was raised in a Pan-Africanist household and because I was reading Black feminist literature from such a young age, I'm really aware of, you know, whose shoulders I'm standing on. And so when I was reading... Dorothy West and Zora Neale Hurston and Alice Walker and Toni Morrison, Maya Angelou, I, I had a canon of my own and I could see how rich and diverse and huge and expansive the black feminist literary imagination was. And so when I finally entered into it myself, I was benefiting from all the work that I had gone before. And I think I was also being welcomed in by, you know, these independent women of colour media platforms who were really encouraging and told me that my work was valuable. And so I've got a really engaged and compassionate readership. And so the feedback that I get is wholly positive. 
to be honest. I have to beg people to critique me and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, I get it's it's genuinely all love. Absolutely. Mm. You mentioned imagination, and like I love mm. that you were like that you knew what the imagination you were stepping into was. Mm. Where do you think transness fits into that black imagination and that black lineage? I think when I started reading women's sci-fi writers, I could see a space to discuss layered our layered experiences mm. as trans women of colour. I felt that, you know, being able to talk about the matrix of domination and how you're enduring these oppressive forces concurrently means that in the realm of the sublime in speculative fiction specifically, you have the opportunity to speak about the specificity of your experience by exploring so many different worlds. So that was probably my route in, but reading Marge Piercy's Woman on the Edge of Time, Octavia Butler's Kindred, I think those two books made me feel that there is a book that I can write in the future which will adequately sum up my experience in the present moment, potentially decolonize our visions of a pre-colonial past, and most definitely announce new worlds and new imaginations and spaces where we can exist in the future. I know that I have a better phrase in me than imagination spaces, but I can't reach it for it right now. Apologies. It's so interesting that I think we forget the role of fiction in being able to imagine and create worlds we would like to live in Mm. without having to constantly deconstruct suffering and trauma and Mm. having to use that as the touchstone. Reality can be a weight and fiction yeah. can be a hot air balloon that can take us and show us new vistas with freedom. Mm. And I think particularly because for me as a writer, when I was um, reading Steal As Much As You Can by Natalie Ola and also Thick, the collection of essays by Dr. Tracy Mitman and Cotton, um, speaking about the think piece industry, the think piece industrial complex and how those who, we we aren't the ones who get the paid writing gigs you know so you know i'm constantly hustling you know for these tidbitty kind of freelance opportunities and in the end i found myself to be a bit of a trauma monger mm. and then because my ambition was always to write something more substantial i found that when i was speaking to agents and editors and everything people were expecting me to write my autobiography. Mm-hmm. I've just turned 35 and I would like to wait. But also I feel that there's this desire for particularly black trans women to always have to account for how hard it has been for us, how much trauma we've been through and trying to account for our humanity by proving how much we've suffered. I mean, I could do that really easily. 
you know, I could easily just write my autobiography, focus on the most harrowing moments of harmlessness and sexual assault and vileness and, you know, whatever. And I felt that not only has that autobiographical work been done quite a bit, but I want to write my, my novel that I'm writing right now. People assume that it's completely based on my life because, you know, it's a young black trans girl from North London. And I don't mind people making that assumption because, yeah, when they read it, <laughs> they'll see that it's definitely not me. But I can't, you know, as, you know, the daughter of Toni Morrison, I just don't see writing about black women and black trans women specifically as this, like, narrow scope of experience. Like, I've... Mm gone to such incredible places by living with my main character, but also the family that she belongs to and the, you know, the social scene that she belongs to is a whole um, village of people. Starts in Crouch End, but then, yeah, goes to other places. And it's been incredible to me, like, how liberating it is to be able to just ask what if and this uh, I'm obviously very um, touched by the work of Janet Mock um, with her autobiographies and stuff and you know that blew my mind and my soul open she really laid the path for me and because particularly the first book she wrote Redefining Realness being she did all the trans 101 explaining, you know, like a very clear cut, you know, from child to young adult. You know, she really laid the pathway. Yeah, what she went through and how we are to understand her motivations, what she felt at every particular moment. But then with what she's been able to achieve in writing for Pose and writing and directing for Hollywood, just being asked, like, what if has given me whole new worlds to contemplate? What if you have a mum who is really supportive and really loving? You know, like, what if I, yeah, had um, what um, Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade have given Zaya Wade? Like, it's just... I can't, I would rather write into that space. Mm. What does it mean for a black trans girl to grow up feeling loved? Mm. What does it mean for a black trans girl to fall in love, to be loved, to be resourced, to go to university and have a wonderful experience? Mm -hmm. um, not that's like that there's going to be, like it's just going to be this utopian experience where like she never endures anything. But what if we just, like, what she goes through just doesn't conform to what we were taught to consider the lot of black trans women through Jerry Springer and the crying game and, you know, whatever. Like, I need to write stories that completely refute everything we were told our lives were going to be about. Mm -hmm. So what if she has the problems girls have? Getting the heartbroken. Well, we, because that's than, the thing we do. Rather than, and that's the focus of the story, rather than. Yeah. What if the worst thing in the world could possibly happen to you? I have to deliver that through fiction because what I find in political discourse, in community organising, or whatever, 
people come with so many precepts and, you know, the questions that people want to ask are not about what I experienced as a girl. Do you know what I mean? If I'm walking down the street as a fat black woman, like I go through certain things. And if I'm not being read as trans, that's worthy of discussion. I go through a lot of the things that women go through in day-to-day life. And they also go through transphobia. So like there are obviously experiences that are particular to cisgender women. Like I'm not, I'm not here to argue for my womanhood by erasing someone else's experience and how they feel about their body and how they came into their own. Like that's, that's ridiculous. What I'm saying is that there are experiences that we do share and I'd love to write and talk about that and talk about what I specifically go through as a black trans woman too. It's like, but it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to engulf everything. You know, I feel like it, it, mm. sometimes they force us to make sure that transness then engulfs and eclipses anything else that we could possibly right. be. Because I think that, you know, it's interesting when I hear you speak and it like made me smile so much because it feels like you're not writing from a place of reaction. And I feel like so much of UK current culture, they only want us to profit from reaction. It's like, how are you reacting to JK Rowling's Mm -hmm. latest tweet? I can't care. We're dying. We're literally in the streets being killed. You want me to go and listen to, you know, want me to react to mm. this like white millionaires like, <laughs> and like random thoughts on gender that don't make sense. I can't. Do you know what I mean? And then like on top of that, like I like people speak as if like we spent, you know, our formative years like in a test tube. I'm very aware of the differences between my lives and those of the women around me. I grew up with them, okay? Literally, I was there. I know how our lives are different. It's okay. That doesn't hurt. What hurts is when I'm being told that I need to be excluded from hostels, that I need to be kept, that I need to be um, left you know, to languish in men's prisons where I'm sexually assaulted every day. That, you know, and and I need to be in that space in order to protect other women. So it's like, that's weird. Like, I I, I don't understand why I need to be the victim of violence in order to keep other people safe. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Travis, you 
did, and I'm sure we'll do again, a very compelling show called Burgers, which is about the trans experience, but is it's really about the trans experience in a trans exclusionary world, but is also uh, because it's you, full of joy and humanity and what's deep down inside, which I think is where feminism is going. Deep down in each woman is a human being. And the more layers of othered identity that you carry on top of that, the less likely it will be that other people will bother to mine for that humanity. So even well-meaning people might say, oh, what's your reaction to this tweet on the most surface level of, you know, this is the only thing about you that's interesting. But they're not saying, what do you think about what Boris Johnson just said about COVID? As if you're not a human being who can catch COVID or has an elderly relative. They're saying only comment on the piece of your identity that it is most clear for me to see because it is most other from mine. How do you feel about what Kachenga's saying and about that, Travis, mm. and how you, I suppose, express or explore that through your work? You know, I think it's so sad how rare it is to be able to just hear and talk to another writer about their work that happens to also be Black and trans, because it reminds you how beautiful it is when a canon can exist, because canons can be varied and have different approaches and have different ways. I think for me, so much of my work up until this point has been so directly about the very much the violence in the present world. And I think for me, it was because up until Burgers, I couldn't afford therapy. And I really say this, I mean this, Burgers helped me afford therapy. The success of Burgers means that I could then go and process <laughs> the last five years of harassment and violence. I think for me, I am... Learning that my softness is something that I find so much harder to access than I do my rage and my anger mm -hmm. and my demands. And so for me, my work has been always so fueled from the parts that are easier to access. It's funny, I just finished a script for something that for the first time I've been commissioned to not write about gender. And um, I wrote about a love story. And it was so amazing to dive into so many cliches, um, but it was so hard to make the writing good. And I realized that I'd gotten so good at writing about violence. I'd gotten mm. so good at making violence interesting. I got so good at making violence dynamic, my violence, that I felt disconnected from it to the point where like, you know, I was harassed you know, last week. And I said, I didn't even process it because I was like, oh, I've already done a show about that. And I was like, what is this? What's going on here? Well, you know, I, I was remember telling my therapist, you know, just actually seven months ago, I was, I had another piece of food thrown at me. And my response was, well, I've already done the hit show about this. <laughs> and I said, what is going on there? I said, I can't do Burgers Volume 2. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> we get it. <laughs> but, but, you know, I had another piece of fast food thrown at me and I actually couldn't process it because I'd already blocked the show. And I said, that's weird. That's See, something to work through. This you know? is how I know that you are a true theatre maker and not a stand-up comic, because a stand-up comic would go, excellent, Edinburgh 2021 <laughs> KFC, this has made my week. Um, no. <laughs> oh, no. Comedians do it all the time. When they hear about someone else's trauma, like I was in a cult growing up and I told another comedian once, and they went, you are so lucky. 
because that's incredible show. I can't believe you've not talked about that. I'm yeah. like, I can't find the funny in it yet. It's still traumatic for me. I mean, I have now, obviously. I've done a show yeah. about that now. Um, <laughs> but at that point, I was still processing and I was like, it's not funny to me. I'm sorry. I'm just not interested. You know, I was, and Kima Bob does say, don't get mad, get material. And I, <laughs> and I love that. I, mean, I do love I, that. And I yeah. think there is something in that because it's a bit like Nora Ephron saying that her mum, when she came home from school with a bad story about that person bullied me or I fell over and everyone laughed or whatever, she'd say, everything's copy. And she said, I think that's what mm. she meant was, if you fall over and everyone laughs, it's their laugh. But if you tell the story about you falling over, it's your laugh. And so mm. I think I understand why so many of my trans friends are artists because it's making it your laugh or your story. Well, yeah. And it's also, if I'm honest, on top of that, not many places would hire me looking like this. Like, this is the real tea. It's mm, that, like, yeah, I actually true. think, like, you know, I love how I look in lots of ways. Mm. And I don't feel like I, well, actually, it's not a normal business, but, like, I wouldn't be hired for so many jobs. And, you know, often we talk about, you know, often the stats around trans people will be wheeled out, you know, we the high percentage of us in sex work, et cetera. But I think mm. that often doesn't get wheeled out to the other types of selling our work that we have to do in order to actually get financial gain because yeah. so many trans people can't work in management or... But I was also... I've got to come in and say that, yeah, obviously, like, the way you look and, like, being visibly trans and, you know, visibly gender non-conforming is going to impact your employment prospects. But... I think we are doing the girls a disservice if we tell them that, you know, that you need to become possible in order to become employable. Yeah. In the modern era, like, you're going to get clocked in a number of different ways. Yeah. And so it's weird for me because I've put so much effort into being cis-passing, not just because... I wanted to reduce the violence in my life. I mean, that was the main aim. But also because dysphoria was destroying my life. And I wanted to be loved. I wanted to, you know, go on dates in public and that sort of thing. I also had the fantasy that I would get the job in publishing that everyone told me that I deserved, that I would get, you know, this entry-level position and that I could, you know, intern for a little bit and then go and get something somewhere nice and I could wear high-waisted trousers and a nice blouse. That was my dream. Mm. And for, for, like, five years, I did my very best to try and get a job that I wanted but also just any job, you know? And what I discovered was that, you know, I would turn up at the interview and that would be okay. But eventually when people got to Googling and, you know, I had to provide certain paperwork or whatever, things would never pan out. And this is an unconscious bias. You know, I'm a fat black trans woman with the name Kachenga. Like I couldn't be (laughs) any more declarative about what kind of person is turning up at the office. But unfortunately, having transness as that last hurdle meant that I became unemployable in the UK job market, regardless of 
how soft I felt, how many times, you know, I was told, oh, we can, you know, you can't really tell. Oh my God, you're so pretty. You're so gorgeous. Or the men in the office are looking at you. Like none of that helped. And I think we have to be completely frank about the levels of transphobia in society being so virulent that we've got a whole section of our population who were just seen as unemployable because they're trans. Just that's that's the thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe I'm saying that from a black trans perspective. Maybe it's it's probably easier if you're white and trans and possible. But for me, I found it impossible. That's deeply disturbing, and also somehow it's shocking while not being surprising. And I want it to be more surprising than it is. I want to think better of people and I want to think, do you have hope this is changing? Do you feel it's changing? Do you have hope that it's changing? There are obviously polar forces in this country at the moment and they're pushing in two very distinct directions. Do you have hope that at some point a black trans woman going for a job will just be a human being going for a job? I don't know. I think, like, you know, I was watching Lovecraft Country last night, the I Am episode, which just completely blew me open because of the complexity of emotion that... I don't want to give any spoilers. But, yeah, basically, the black woman who was in the episode was um, focused on the humiliation that she had to endure, the um, rage that she experienced, um, having to make herself smaller, all of those things were things that I related to deeply. And I feel like I can't really give you a nice clean answer because these are unprecedented times. And I think that there are counter-hegemonic forces which should make us believe in, like, you know, a brand new dawn, a different tomorrow. But I don't have those day-to-day examples. I have the landmarks. We've got the Janet Mocks, the Laverne Coxes, the Honey Dijons, the T.S. Madison, you know what I mean? Like... The hustlers, you know, the re- like that have, against all odds, forged a path for themselves. And so I've got, you know, my peers, icons, heroines, transistors, the Lucy Hicks Andersons and the Tracy Africans. I've got those. I've got my pantheon. <laughs> what I don't have are... My girlfriends in arms who were telling me, you know what, Kachenga, I went to this space and I just was treated completely differently. Mm. I was welcomed. I was reasoned. I experienced that myself, but I feel sometimes I experience these things because I grew up in a very bourgeois home. And so I had these... um, very bourgeois aspirations. I had lots of rich white friends and all of my sexual partners have been rather well-off white men. And so I've, you know, I have um, earrings that say goal digger, but also 
I was a gold digger. So like, I, you know, I just, I, I was able to put myself in situations that meant that I got like a, a lift up in the socioeconomic um, sense. Like, I, yeah, I just. Do you mean gold digger, like G O A L digger? Yeah, G O A L digger. That's what my earrings say. But really <laughs> and truly, I was both. So, um, <laughs> you know, it means that I feel quite lonely in that I was able to do a creative writing course, that I was able to get a French degree and live in Paris in the French Caribbean. And I was able to take a couple of years off working because my boyfriend was rich enough to send me to rehab and, you know, Mm. give me the space that I needed to write. And so I got the room of my own that Virginia Woolf talked about and stuff. Now, I hustled for that myself, sure, But really and truly, those were coming from a very kind of middle class, like know-how and sensibility. And like my my mother taught me how to game systems, how to appear respectable and how to use people to get what I needed. And I don't think that the skill set and the privilege that I received growing up is widely available to our communities. Travis? What would you like young black trans people to know? I think primarily what I would wish that I can only say what I wish I knew and then hope that that is something that someone else can now know is that I wish I knew earlier on that I didn't have to hold their shame as an indicator to me. You know, I wish I knew of trans people, you know, the pantheon. I didn't have that until very recently Mm -hmm. of trans people that I could see doing other things other than holding other people's shame. And so I wish that I knew that holding shame was not a prerequisite to being trans, Mm -hmm. that there was like another emotion that you could have other than shame. I also wish I heard someone say what I actually believe now is that like I think that transness is like incredibly beautiful and not in this kind of like placard mere way just in like an actual definition of like choosing yourself and I wish I knew how I'd grow up and see so many adults that were not trans that had gone into their adult life still not knowing how to choose themselves and how actually transness is the biggest choice of choosing yourself Incredible. Mm. Incredible. That it's worth the sacrifice. It's worth losing friends. It's worth losing family. That it's, yeah, that it's um, Diamond Styles from the Marsha's Plate podcast speaks about um, her transition in that way, that her, her transition was the biggest act of self-love. Mm-hmm. You know, to choose oneself, to know yourself, to trust your instincts and your spirit and to manifest yourself against all odds again against the chorus of people the court so many people in our lives make us feel disgusting wrong and yeah we have like this temerity and audacity and gall to say you know what i've been told this thousands of times or thousands of days and i don't care and i'm still just so bad still here and still I'm still doing it. Here. Couldn't care what you think. And particularly for those who um, end up in relationships with us, 
I think it's so confronting, particularly because my most of my relationships have been with cis males. It's so weird, like, being in relationship with these men who are meant to be as strong and, you know, be these massive providers, broad shoulders, you know, blokey men. And they're so much more scared of life than I am. Mm-hmm. They really are scared to like not to not be loved by their families, communities. They wouldn't do anything that would have any sort of chink in their masculine um, bravado and how they're seen. It's like it makes them shake mm-hmm. the I, idea of it. I sometimes think that's why trans women, especially, seem to be somehow perceived as a threat to both the sort of reactionary right, but also to some parts of feminism where people are meant to be liberal. And I think it's mm. it can be very threatening to see somebody who is determined to be themselves no matter what it costs them. It's very threatening for people because then what does that say I have to do? And the closer you are to pleasing the patriarchy, the easier it is mm. actually just to go, I'll just conform that little bit more and they'll like me and I'll get mm. the resources mm. and I'll get mm. my share. And the further away mm. you are, the more you might as well just go, you know, as I've said before, you know, might as well just stick some sequins on it and put the Kylie up <laughs> because you're not going to please anyone anyway. And I think there's mm. that's a, there's yeah. a lot mm. to be said mm. for that. And I think, mm. um, now listen, our listeners are extremely active. They're extremely engaged. They want to do the right thing and they want to participate in changing the world and not just bring hams to smash it down, but bring bricks to build the kind of world we do want to live in. What is it that people who, I don't like using the word allies all the time because I sort of think it sounds like you're standing by in a uniform, like, you know, like (laughs) uh, witnessing something and going, "Mm, I approve, you know, and I, I don't want to be one of those guardian readers that, smiles at black trans women in the in the street going i'm 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 very much approve of you um i don't want to be that person and i that I, happens i've never had that i can't really? believe i've never had you've that. never had a smiling Literally, guardian reader I've going i've never had a smiling so guardian reader. and i've been it. to king's cross to a number of guardian masterclasses as well that's rough I'm okay. S- I'm s- uh, well, you oh, know, nice. there's, there's definitely some guardian smilers out there, and I'm sorry, you, I, I'm sorry, <laughs> not sorry, you haven't run into them. But it just seems very, 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 very obvious to me. If we cannot imagine a black trans prime minister or world leader really anywhere in the world at the moment, especially mm-hmm. not in the UK, we can't even imagine it. How the fuck are we not, as feminists, then prioritizing the needs of people who couldn't possibly be democratically elected to represent? people like them. Like it just seems so obvious to me. But if Mm. people are sort of feeling like I know I should help, but I don't want to say the wrong thing or I don't want to do the wrong thing or how do I help or how do I help and not be patronising, what things would you like people who want to be part of an army that steps forward and says we are willing and ready to change the world and make it more like that fictional world? We don't want it to have to be fiction. We want it to be real. What are things we can do and you don't have to know that or have that. I'm not making it your job to know what everyone else should do. But is there anything? I know what you mean. I know. I understand what you're asking. I think, you know, particularly for um, British citizenry, what we tend to do is to romanticise the slavery abolitionist movement, which caused the end of the the trade of enslaved Africans in 1807. It, it didn't, like, end 
the plantation system, but you know, the William Wilberforces and the, you know, reading all the works of Alauda Equiano, it was a different time, you know, and I think that we are in a different time now where if you were going to be a co-conspirator, if you're going to define yourself as committed to anti-racism, if you're going to really become serious about ending white supremacy, about becoming scholars of black feminism and that sort of thing, then... You're just going to have to do that with the consciousness that the world has changed. And so you aren't going to get that saviour moment. You know, you're not going to be crossing the bridge at Selma hand in hand with your black brothers and sisters, you know, making that. And like, you know, there there aren't going to be strings. Those moments of um, valiance and, you know, cleansing and purification I don't think that those are coming. Are you taking my Pepsi moment away from me, Kachenga? I am taking your Pepsi because I don't think it's fulfilling. And I don't think that like a momentary assuaging of the ego that tell me that I'm not as bad as all the other ones is really going to even make you all feel good, to be honest. It's a flash in the pan. I, d- I think... You deserve more. I think the imagination is limited. I don't want a black trans prime minister. It's boring. It's dry. Mm. You know, I also don't want to have to have a sacrificial altar where we have, you know, 736 Diane Abbott's who have to endure so much and are crying in toilet cubicles because no one who they work with actually is willing to put their careers on the line to support them even for a day. So what I think is necessary is to expand our imaginations. I've already mentioned Women on the Edge of Time by Marge Piercy. It is a feminist sci-fi classic it proposes a whole new world. It contemplates different political systems. It talks about how we could legitimately decolonize our world and become environmentally sustainable and see gender as a spectrum and change um, the way that we raise our children and reorganize society to be of benefit for everyone. So I would say that. I also think that the path to empathy and understanding can be lit by the works such as The Vanishing Half by Brit Bennett, by talking about passing as white, but also passing as cis, no spoilers. But the process of writing that book that Brit Bennett went through required her to open herself up to understanding the plight of so many people who she has nothing in common with. Mm. You know, she's like, she's a black woman who's written this story about two twins, one who passes as white, and then also there's a trans-masculine character in that story who she honours. She really, I was blown away by how compassionate she was to give such a wide breadth of experience and to inhabit the um, the thinking systems of the white characters too. I mean, we are like, you know, how many years it's been? It's probably like 65 years since we've had Giovanni's Room by James Baldwin, where he really like convincingly 
entered into this white gay cisgender male's mind and showed us how distraught he was with the options that life had given him. Mm. Now, if we're being real, I don't think we can really say that, you know, in three years, five years, 10 years time, that we can convincingly say, we are going to have that movement in the way that we um, romanticise the 1968 Paris student, you know, rights and stuff. I'm, we can't say what's coming. And I think what we can say is that we can at least do the bloody reading. We can at least, you know, go back and like read about our history and create new worlds where we think about what kind of future we want for ourselves and where we can save ourselves. I think that's the most that I can ask of anyone, regardless of whether they see themselves as an ally, um, a friend of mine, or just a human who might care how we are all going to make it. Kachenga, that's an extraordinary thing to say. We've long wanted to do a Guilty Feminist book club where we get some readers together and, you know, some comedians and commentators and people like that. And we deconstruct a book, but we give our audience time to read it. We've never done it before, but what you've mm. said is so compelling. I'm wondering if we should make Women on the Edge of Time the first book we do. And if we did, would you come back? It's an amazing kickoff book to start a book club with. It literally, oh my yeah, it will really blow the bloody doors off. Okay, it really we're going to give our audience then a time. I'll, I'll get in touch with you, but we'll give them a time frame to read it. Mm. Maybe something like uh, two months should be enough. And then we'll, uh, Necessary. we'll, we'll, we'll we will come back. We'll have thought, uh, hopefully sure. people will have read around it, thought about it, and we will do that. Kachenga, that was absolutely astounding what you just said. Would you okay. read something for us, please? Absolutely. So I've got my contribution to the first black trans anthology in France that is being organised by Cass Rebel and my girlfriend um, Michaela has been editing me for this one. This hasn't been edited. Like I feel a bit weird. So this is, it's not like, I, of course it's been through my editorial process, but I haven't had anyone from on high tell me, yes, Kachenga, this is worthy of public eye. So hopefully... It's not going to be too awful. But yeah, it's called Why They Hate Us. And I start with a quote from The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. No matter how many Chanel bags you borrow, you will never, ever be a lady. Faye Resnick. Last year, I read Things Fall Apart by Chenwa Achebe for the second time. I scoured for details of homophobia and transphobia in pre-colonial Igbo society that I felt sure I had missed the first time round. I reasoned that surely in such a patriarchal society, where the author did not shy away from the protagonist, Okonkwo, beating his wife for not cooking his dinner because she was having her hair done, and him shunning his firstborn for unmanly behaviour, that there must be at least a whisper of disgust for the Bob Risky of the village. I found no such thing. In their cultural practices and beliefs, I expected to see an excommunication of those who manifest masculinity or femininity in discordance with the bodies they had been prescribed. Twins were seen as cursed and abandoned to the wilderness. Those who commune with the moon, saw visions and heard voices, who scare most of us, were compelled to leave and become wanderers. Other undesirables were physically pushed to the edge and lived away from or on the edges of their tribe. 
These were marked people who today would be integrated into society or a designated institution. I assumed that they would have been the main company of the discarded faggots and trannies who had brought so much shame on Igbo families. No. For some reason, this seminal novel about pre-colonial Igbo life, Chenwa Achebe mentioned no gender-variant or same-sex loving people, not even in passing. Curious. Their supreme being, Chukwu, is genderless after all. Dare I argue that before the arrival of Christian missionaries and their attendant strictly binary gender conceptions, that I would have been allowed to swish through the village with confidence and elan? What names for trans girls, trans boys and NBs might there have been that the savagery of the Middle Passage and the rapacious evil of colonialism invisibilised? What names have survived? Today, I write from a room of my own in a country that is not my own, having sacrificed the connections to family, community and love that I once felt I would die without. I have survived. My mother died this past January. It was not deemed safe enough for me to attend her funeral. The cisgender assumed passability I have paid and fought for could not buy me a seat by her graveside. So now grief oozes out of me and leaves pus trails that only I can smell. No matter how good a person I have or have yet to become, the message I receive is criminally consistent. As a black trans woman, I remain eternally wrong and too much. The decision cannot be appealed or reversed. I knew the status quo and I stumbled towards the challenges and obstacles regardless. I chose life. I chose my life. I felt the fear and I did it anyway. To stand valiant on the bodies of bullies with every act of abuse vanquished is the ultimate euphoria. I climbed mountains and reached a land of kept promises. I touch my body and I cannot believe how smooth and bounteous I feel. It's miraculous. Men stop me in the streets, tell me my sex and beauty is showing. I give them nothing. This is not a privilege. The cost has been unemployment, homelessness, and the daily reminders that I always remain one encounter away from death. You'd be crazy to choose this life if you didn't have to, Stern says to Angel in season one of Pose. They keep coming for us. We are blamed for our oppression. We are told it's our fault. We caught this mistreatment because who we are, daring to live in spite of who we are, is just too unnatural a thought to consider. Yet I am called to see parallels. The masculinization of dark cisgender women smells like an abusive home. Michelle Obama, Serena Williams, Megan Thee Stallion, when our best and brightest step out of line by being unapologetically brilliant, detractors try to whip them back into the humility they have lost. The accusation is always the same. She must be a tranny. The potion of oppression they boil up for us is close in flavour, colour and consistency. In the caged caves they put us in, one would hope for solidarity. Instead, we fight over scraps, arguing about who is the most hurt and exhausted. The incel whisperers chortle and patrol our borders. The only ones amongst us who make parole are the prettiest and the lightest and the most fecund. Fecund in the broadest sense. Yes, obviously, mostly who can give an heir and spare offspring. But also, who is willing to make his life better? 
who has got the most time, energy and zeal to make him feel like a man? Instead of fighting the gargantuan beast of patriarchy, we turn on each other and bleat, pick me. I do not speak from on high. In fact, I only can say this because I am one of the most guilty. I long to be loved and I long to belong. When men tell me how pretty I am, I feel warm and accomplished. When another trans girlfriend calls me and we get to bitching about the girls, I am sure I cackle the loudest at jokes about who is the most clocky. Jokes that lead to punchlines on jawlines, broad shoulders and rough stubble. What I have imbibed over the years, I pour out onto others. Where did I learn this? At school, when I was 14, a girl called Celestina was being so mistreated, it made my toes tighten and my shoulder blades wet. I was invited to take part in the derision of her. It felt fantastically thrilling to finally be above someone. The fresh breezes of superiority. It did not last long. Her father came to the school gates and had words with me. I huffed off away from his admonishments, but the job was done. She had been defended. We actually became friends after that. A year later, he drove us to Camden Town and I helped her choose her night trainers at Foot Locker. All was forgotten. That is what I want for us all. Giggles and camaraderie. I have no wing. I shan't give a man biological children to call his own. This is not my ministry. I cannot agree that this makes me lesser. A beta woman. A facsimile of a woman. A woman of no use. It is impossible for me to see myself like that. In many ways, I am becoming a lot like my mother in personality and temperament. Yet I never wanted her life. I have wanted no other woman's life in its entirety. I am Kachanga. I am my own blueprint. There is no other me. Others may argue that black cis gender women do not owe us anything. I disagree. I believe they owe it to us and themselves to work all the transphobia we have learnt out of our systems. They owe it to us and to themselves to never justify our deaths. They owe it to us and to themselves to ask why society is so committed to campaigning for our sustained inferiority. I have no whim. I shan't give birth. Will I ever become a mother in the literal or abstract sense? I don't know. What I do know is that the hate reserved for girls like us will be dished out in ever larger dollops if the source of the hate is not thoroughly cleansed and healed. As a woman, I do not owe the world children. I do not owe the world my labour. I am free to indulge my own destiny. I have done my time as the transsexual princess in the tower. I have been the sex doll mistress who is the keeper of all his secrets. It's a boring job. I resigned and stealthily ran away because I knew I deserved more. Sapphires don't deserve to die young. Jezebels don't deserve black eyes and broken bones. Why do people allow it? Why were the women on the sidelines watching Islam Nettles, Malaysia Booker and Diana Dior not compelled to oppose the kicks and blows that rained down on bodies that were the same colour as their own? Why don't all black lives matter yet? Well, some part of them knows that toxic men need violence like plants need water. Perhaps they feel that if the violence valve is released on beings collectively deemed worthy of absolute destruction, that it will never be their turn to be humiliated and killed in public view and hear howling laughter serenade their last breaths. 
Perhaps their wombs will save them from such abject treatment. Perhaps the kids they give their men and the world will mean that they will forever be seen as special and sacred and deserving of long, healthy lives, and the nightmare of genocide will never be visited upon them. Perhaps they will always know love. Perhaps they will always belong in a way I will never come to know. The gag is that I once was loved. Absolutely, if not unconditionally. I remember a time when I was looked upon as internally and externally golden. I was loved from my hair follicles to my toenails. That love was taken. It was withdrawn. I have wondered with an undying lust for it ever since. I shan't ever stop searching. I have also known what it is to belong. I felt whole and the seat of my soul glowed. I thought it would last forever. I come from a long line of mothers who continue to raise me, guide me and talk to me. I look like them. We share the same shapes and feelings. They often call for me to come home. I can do nothing but sit still and listen until they quieten. They stay calling me on home. Transphobia stops me from coming home. I ask of you, please, as I am, let me come home. Thank you. Wow. That was incredible. can't believe that. You were the first to hear that. That's an exclusive. Wow. Absolutely Mm. beyond. Wow. Absolutely incredible. So moving. Thank you for giving me the space to share. You don't need anyone from on high to tell you that's incredible. What a special episode. We're going to get so many emails and comments about this episode changing people's lives. Can I ask one quick thing? Because I know otherwise I'll get emails about it and I won't know how to answer it. You use the word transsexual rather than transgender. Can you briefly unpack why? Um, because it's like unrespectable. I, I didn't. No one consulted me um, about where I would feel the most comfortable and whatever. I just like the word, to be honest. And I think I like that it makes other people bristle. It's got sex in it. <laughs> I, um, I don't. Okay. Yeah, like okay. you know, I, I, I don't that. have like a long academic explanation. No. I just prefer the sound of the word. It's just absolutely. Yeah. I just wanted to ask because I knew otherwise I would get emails. So I'm- oh yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, I like the conversation mm-hmm. that um, occurs after people yeah. ask that question. Mm-hmm. For me, I look up to women like um, Tracy Africa and Caroline Cossey and, you know, the transsexual glamazon of the 80s and 90s who had to go on these talk shows and explain themselves and have themselves questioned in these really obtuse, violent ways. I just want to let them know that I am... Um, their daughter, their descendant. And like, I only survived because of the transsexuals of yesteryear. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really proud to call myself one and to be in community with them. And that's my position underneath the transgender umbrella. Amazing. yeah, Absolutely amazing. Deborah, I know we're running over, but I'll kick myself if I don't ask this last thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Kachanga, after your beautiful writing, I know so many people are going to be wanting to support your work. Where can they find you? 
where can they support you? How can we support your writing and work beyond this moment? Thank you so much. Um, I have my Instagram. That's just simply Kuchenga, K-U-C-H-E-N-G-A. Um, I also have my website, again, kuchenga.com. And you can find all my writing there and you have um, the contact details of my agent for any um, editors and publishers who want to get in touch about any commissions and like writing in the future and stuff. Yeah. So Instagram, my website. Wonderful. And Travis, can I ask you the same thing? How do people Um, find you? Uh, my mum lives in Bristol and she has my contact details there. Um, <laughs> if, if, not all, if not all of my ex's uh, Instagrams, if you scroll enough down. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, you can also find Travis online. Did anyone, just before we get Boomy to play us out, did anyone come to say anything today that they didn't get to say, that they'd like to leave on the table or anything else they'd like to plug? We're going to need a long reading list in the show notes because you've said so many amazing authors we're going to come back to do our book group which I hope I'm glad I think um yeah if anyone would like to donate I would recommend um subscribing to the patreons of the Marshall's Plate podcast Cat Black on YouTube and also the Tea Time Network run by Ashley Breathe on YouTube those are black trans media platforms that are all deserving of support and um, yeah if anyone can spare a little bit of change um, price of a coffee a month to support Black Trans Media that would be great that's a lovely thing to do Kachenga thank you so much and now take it away Boomy Thomas yay wow I'm still shaking from that conversation and Travis and Kachenga you like bared your souls in mm. the most insightful way uh, with so much sensitivity, depth, you expose your fragility, but in the most humble yet affirming manner and understanding of the role that your art plays in amplifying your voice and your experience is so invaluable. Um, Thank you, I'm so humbled and wow, my, like, I'm so emotional. And the way you weaved in the titles, things fall apart, they do, especially for a woman on the edge of time. <laughs> and um, what it means to inhabit the imaginary and to see the illusions that collapse or dissolve when we have the courage to exist beyond paradigms of normality. So uh, the song I'm going to play is called Hey You. <laughs> Broken spirit, broken will, I hear you. <laughs> hey, you over there, standing tall, unafraid to fall, I see you. Hey, you over there, living life without a care, I'll catch you and hold you close. To my beating heart Hey you in the mirror I've looked you in the eye Felt your love, your trepidation Heard your reasons why Why you can't fly And why you 
choose to hide behind in the shadows. Nursing your broken wing, feeling like the sun is setting on your dreams. But I'm here to say it's an illusion, an illusion. It's all an illusion, an illusion. Hey, you over there trying to make ends meet. I've heard your battle cries even when you are discreet. Hey, you drowning, howling in the shadows. I've heard the aching Heard the what now, the what's the what is Well, I'm here to say it's an illusion An illusion It's all an illusion An illusion Boomy Thomas, everybody! What a perfect, perfect song, Boomy. Thank you so mm. much for joining us. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest co-host Travis Alabanza, and our very special guest, Kachenga, with music from Boomy Thomas. The Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge and produced by Nick Sheldon. The producer was Tom Salinsky for The Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Rachel Croft, Machina DCO, and everyone who made this episode happen, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Woo! Big round of applause for Travis Alabanza! Yeah! imagination spaces but I can't reach it for it right now apologies <laughs> it's so interesting though that the idea that um, Deb we can't hear you oh Tom they can't hear me oh, hello 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 yeah you're there you're okay. good okay yeah. something's obviously unsteady in uh, or some lead that's unsteady or something if it happens again uh-huh. I think it's probably Zoom thinks that you're not speaking oh Zoom thinks I'm not speaking so I might need to do this um, so, um, I mean, that's the first time ever on a Zoom call I've been so quiet, Zoom's decided I don't want to participate. That's, that's how interesting you are. I'm not known for not speaking. So this is, this is, this is a real compliment to you two. That I was so riveted, Zoom was like, yeah, you're not, you're out of here. It's a bit you're like when done. Netflix, you're you know, done, when, when Netflix says you're used to watching this and you go, yeah, well, stop being so judgy. And then you think, oh, maybe I'm watching it too long if Netflix is like, are you really still there? Um, uh, so, yeah, it's so interesting that I think we forget the role of fiction. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. 
add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. A huge thank you to all of our amazing patrons sponsoring us at the Smash the Patriarchy level or above. John Corcoy, Sarah Brown and Sarah Boom.